You're listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, I'm Tilde Herrera. Ford, SC Johnson, and HP may hail from disparate industries, but these Fortune 500 companies have at least one thing in common. They're integrating environmental factors into the design of their products in ways that enhance value yet create fewer environmental impacts. Ford, for instance, has created a soy-based seat cushion foam, while SC Johnson uses a green list process to weed out restricted ingredients. HP, meanwhile, cut packaging on a recent product by 97%. These are the types of innovative examples you'll find in the book Design for Environment. An updated edition comes out in July. Today, we're being joined by its author, Joseph Fixell, who is also the executive director of Ohio State University's Center for Resilience and a featured speaker at GreenBiz.com's upcoming Greener by Design conference. So today, we're going to explore the principles behind the Design for Environment framework, and Joseph will explain what's driving this movement and offer advice to companies new to the game. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mr. Fixo. I know that you have a new book coming out in July called Design for Environment that examines how companies are designing successful, profitable products, yet these products have fewer environmental impacts. What would you say are the factors driving this? Well, there's a number of drivers, uh, beginning with uh, external drivers that come from the business environment, things like governmental initiatives uh, from both uh, international and U.S. agencies, such as the waste and electronic equipment ordinances that require companies to design the products with end-of-life in mind. There are a variety of environmental management systems, standards like ISO 14001. We have sustainability rating schemes, such as the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. All of these are pushing companies towards greater awareness of their environmental performance. We also have things like eco-labeling, where uh, companies are actually putting labels, disclosing the environmental properties of their products. And we have various codes of conduct, such as the series principles. However, um, in my opinion, the really important drivers are not so much the external drivers, but it's the business drivers. And those have to do with recognition by companies that there is value associated with adopting sustainability and environmental principles. And that includes both the tangible drivers opportunities for improved efficiency, for improved asset utilization, reducing risks and and growing company, but also the intangibles, things like reputation, the strength of alliances with customers and suppliers, license to operate and license to grow. And one very important one is just human capital, establishing greater pride and loyalty among employees, being able to attract and retain talent. The one thing I didn't mention is the market drivers, and that is customers who are expecting more from companies, expecting them to behave in an environmentally responsible fashion, to produce products that have a smaller environmental footprint. This is more coming from industry customers as opposed to consumers in the marketplace. However, there's a growing minority of consumers that are also looking for this. Generally speaking, do you think that companies are moving quickly enough to move the needle forward in terms of product design? Well, there are some early adopters Mm -hmm. that have uh, been working on this for years, starting back in the 90s. There were some industry sectors that really uh, embraced these ideas in uh, the field of electronics and chemicals, even in consumer products, companies like P&G, DuPont, HP, and so forth. 
However, I'd say maybe 10% of the Fortune 1,000 companies are really invested in integrating this, this kind of thinking about design for environment into their products and processes. And so, in answer to your question, the, there's not enough being done to move the needle forward significantly. Companies are somewhat hampered by uh, the need to be competitive, and I believe it's what, what's needed is more collaboration within supply chains and across industries, and including public-private collaboration to create business conditions where companies can really make more, more radical moves towards improved environmental performance. Now, how would you define design for environment? I define it very simply as a systematic consideration of the performance of a product design with respect to environmental health, safety, and sustainability objectives, taking into account the full life cycle of the product from supply to manufacturing to customer use and to eventual disposal. If you look at the current practice today among leading companies, most of them follow these kinds of principles. The first one is the idea of life cycle thinking. I mentioned the different life cycle stages. Some people talk about going from cradle to cradle, from the, the initial extraction of resources from the environment to the end of life of the product and then the recovery or recycling of those materials which we consider assets, basically. They shouldn't be thrown away. Mm. So that encourages a sort of a broad systems view of the supply chain. And when you design, you shouldn't just think about the product in its use, but think about everything that goes into the product before it's made and after it's, it's obsolete. The second major point is um, measurement. It's really important to be able to measure environmental performance using metrics that reflect potential adverse impacts as well as opportunities. To give you an example, uh, DuPont has in, uh, introduced a metric which they call shareholder value per pound. So they look at how much value am I creating for each pound of material that I produce. So that's not a traditional environmental metric which measures negative impacts like pollution. It's a measure of actual value creation based on the efficiency and the resource efficiency of the processes. Now, there's, there's other principles that are documented in the book which have to do with design strategies. And there's a, a number of different ways to go about trying to design sustainable products. One is what we call dematerialization, which means basically reducing the throughput of resources necessary to create and support and service the product. To give you an example of that, uh, uh, packaging is a major area of opportunity. Mm -hmm. HP was able to reduce the packaging on their pavilion notebook on one of their models by 97%. Wow. Which is amazing. Uh, another kind of opportunity is using renewable materials instead of using synthetic or, or, uh, or scarce materials. For example, uh, Ford has introduced soy-based foam for the seat cushions on mm. all of their vehicles or a lot of their vehicles. And that's, since that's renewable, it depletes environmental resources. It also reduces carbon emissions. There's a lot of concern today about greenhouse gas emissions, and design for environment principles will basically reduce the energy and material footprint of a product. A more uh, radical way to do this is to actually convert from selling a product to providing a service. And we've seen a number of, of companies and new businesses spring up that are substituting services for products. An example is uh, Zipcar, which you may have seen in your municipality. Instead of owning a car, you can go and, and lease a car for a few hours and then just drop it off somewhere, and you're done with it. Those vehicles have much higher utilization, and so overall, 
This makes us much more efficient in our use of transportation resources. Some of the other principles we talk about are things like detoxification, which means eliminating hazardous or toxic substances from the product. For example, S.C. Johnson has a has a green list process where they list all the materials that are acceptable and all those that are restricted, and they've managed to eliminate things like PVC and uh, other unwanted materials from their product. Another major principle is revalorization, which means recovering value from a product at the end of life. And a good example of that is Caterpillar. Uh, they have established a remanufacturing division where they take old engines that are basically used up and, and broken down and remanufacture them into new engines, and they warranty those engines as if they were new. Instead of throwing the engine in the junk heap, it, it's reborn. They have about 4,000 employees worldwide that are working in their remanufacturing division, and it's one of the most profitable divisions. There are some other issues, uh, for example, designing to protect uh, capital, including natural capital, things like uh, worrying about water resources. Coca-Cola has been a champion for water use reduction and for water resource protection throughout the world, and that's because, of course, water is intrinsic to their product. We found that the, the most successful design initiatives uh, are from companies who recognize the key environmental issues associated with their products and are trying to link their products to the ecological services that they depend upon, mm -hmm. things like water, minerals, land, and so forth. Well, you just gave us some really awesome examples of how companies are looking to design for environment to enhance their businesses. But earlier you said that only 10% of the business or the Fortune 1000 companies would be considered early adopters. Why aren't more businesses turning to design for environment to enhance their companies? Yeah, I told you some of the success stories, and they are exciting. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are many barriers to doing this. Mm -hmm. um, the vast majority of companies uh, don't have experience and aren't familiar with these ideas. It takes a concerted effort to build up that capability. Some companies have had uh, a few successes, but they have not institutionalized the processes that are needed to do it over and over repeatedly. One of the important things about design for environment is that it has to become a systematic business process. It has to become part of the innovation process. Otherwise, you have these one-off and two-off interesting anecdotal stories, mm -hmm. but you don't have consistent success over time. Companies like 3M, P&G, and others have incorporated design for environment uh, metrics and guidelines into their cross-functional development process. So every product team actually has people on it who are concerned with environmental performance and are coming up with ideas and critiquing the ideas as they go along so that right from the concept stage, this awareness is built in. So what kind of advice would you offer to companies who are struggling with integrating design for environment principles across their companies? Well, I think it's important to um, start with a particular focus to pick a, um, a product line or a division where environmental issues are really important, so where there's a clear business value proposition. You know, if only we could do X, we would gain market share, we could significantly decrease our, our cost of production, or we would reduce our supply chain risks. So once uh, you can locate an example like that, uh, it's possible to field a team and sort of run 
an experiment where you say, let's let's do this right from the beginning. Let's think about the full life cycle of our product, examine all the pros and cons, and design a concept that we think is really fit for these future issues that could undermine the success of the product. Some people call that concurrent engineering. Mm-hmm. And actually, there are a lot of companies that practice concurrent engineering, but many of them don't include sustainability as one of the issues that they think about mm-hmm. in that front-end conceptual development. Once a company has a success with, with an experience like this, that would give them a basis to go forward and try to roll out a process that fits with their overall corporate business processes and can be disseminated through the different divisions. That generally does require some training. It requires some development of procedures. For example, you need tools as part of your stage gate decision process. What stage gate means is that there are different stages in the development of a product, from concept to overall engineering to detailed design, eventually to manufacturing release. And so at each stage, you need to have rules and guidelines and criteria for deciding that the product meets your requirements. So in order to make this process repeatable and kind of a a routine part of the operations, it does take some work. Mm -hmm. But as I say, it's best to start with an obvious success where there's going to be a clear win if the environmental performance can be built in from the start. So what are the big takeaways here? What are the things that businesses need to know? A lot of companies uh, uh, see barriers to doing design for environment. The barriers include... uh, you know, uh, lack of familiarity, lack of time, uh, perceived cost, mm-hmm. uh, concerns about delay. In my opinion, designing for environment should expedite the uh, product development process by uh, <clears throat> by allowing a product to be released that meets all of the downstream concerns. Sometimes companies discover too late that they're they included some restrictive material that has problems and they have to go back and redesign the product and that introduces delays. Um, in the product development world, time to market is sacred. Mm. So uh, environmental design should be done with attention to to accelerating the time to market by considering all of the environmental health and safety issues that, that could be a concern downstream. You don't want to discover those later because it's much more expensive. So my advice would be for companies to to try to be more forward-thinking and more proactive in how they deploy their environmental resources. Don't, um, don't check things after the fact, but think about it early in the game when there's still a lot of degrees of freedom. I think the second major takeaway is partnering. That uh, It's really difficult to do this alone, and uh, I think companies should try to partner with their suppliers and their customers and even with their stakeholders. For example, There are a lot of companies that have worked with environmental groups, such as Environmental Defense uh, or World Wildlife Fund, and those groups will work with companies to help them design products that would meet uh, environmental concerns and constraints and actually give them a competitive advantage. Uh, Suppliers and customers also can be tremendous uh, partners in that they can think through the product requirements and needs from their perspective, uh, rather than assuming that your supplier will deliver a product in a certain way, you can discuss with them what the options are and come up with, with brand-new solutions that overcome what, what people thought might be, might be a constraint. This is called co-creation of value. I'll give you an example. Uh, 
Intel has worked with its customers, which are, of course, computer manufacturers and other electronics companies, mm -hmm. uh, on how to manage the movement of chips from, from the fabrication factory to the assembly uh, location where they're eventually installed in computers. Chips are very delicate. They may require careful handling. And Intel has, de has devised these trays, plastic trays, that are reusable and that can, the, the chip can travel in those trays from the fab to the customer and then cycle back again to Intel for reuse. And they have saved millions of dollars in finding ways to basically reduce the amount of packaging required to transport those chips. And they've also streamlined the whole process because they've gotten cooperation from their customers in terms of closing the loop. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.